This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 17 this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series uh, based on our New Year's theme entitled Sure and Steadfast. And today we're taking a look at the sure and steadfast hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Entitled today's message, Hope in the Counsel of God. If you have the Hui Kala app, and if you don't, you can grab your phone and download it right now. Uh, the Hui Kala app actually has uh, on the homepage there uh, today's message. You click on that. It's going to take you to a button that says fill in notes. If you click on that, it's going to open up a web browser, and it's going to show you everything we're going to cover today. Uh, all the, the notes that you'll see on the screen, all the verses that we're going to cover are going to be there. Uh, you can do that every single week of the world. We'll have those on there for you. Uh, I think that's to help as you follow along. Maybe you just want to grab a notebook and jot down some things as we go through it. That would be fine, too. Uh, But just uh, whatever you do, stay engaged because I know for a fact today's message is going to help you uh, as you walk with Jesus this year. Uh, Before we jump into the message, I want to make you aware of a couple things. If you missed out last Sunday night's uh, vision, uh, I'm sorry, Forward Sunday, uh, you get a copy of our church calendar when you leave. It's an 11 by 17 sheet of every single event that we have on the church calendar for the whole year. And so grab one of those from our ushers on our way out here today. And, and I would encourage you this, build your schedule for the year as a family and as an individual around the church calendar. And so we've got a lot of really good events coming up that maybe you want to take some time off of work for, uh, some other things you want to build your vacation around because you will not want to miss here. And so I'd encourage you to grab one of those on your way out here today. Also, if you didn't get one of our super cool pins and buttons and stickers, all those are available on the back table with our new year theme on it uh, as well sure and steadfast i uh, grab one of those on your way out I have a bible reading log for you i i have kept one of these in my bible for probably the last five years as you read a passage of scripture you just mark it off and you can see kind of your progress as you go through the year as far as your bible reading is concerned so i would encourage you to uh, grab one of those today also for the first time ever in the history of hui kala we have zip up lightweight hoodies and so if you ever get cold in church uh, i'm not going to turn the ac down buy a hoodie uh and so Maybe we might even get, we might get blankets and have the ushers bring blankets down the aisles, but we're not turning the AC up for you, that's for sure. And so those are available. Again, I think this is helpful just because it, it creates discussion, gives you the opportunity to be able to share your faith with people. And so uh, if, if that's helpful for you, for you, grab one of those today. Grab your Bible, though, because this is going to be helpful to you. Jeremiah chapter 17. Give you context of Jeremiah 17. What's going on here is this. Uh, Jeremiah is uh, challenging the children of Israel to come back to God. Uh, They've rebelled against God. He's telling them to come back. And this theme will carry over for the next couple of weeks as we look through uh, not only Jeremiah here today, but Lamentations over the next few weeks. And I would encourage you this as as well too. Just last announcement, I promise you that I'm done. Two weeks from today, I'm going to preach a message that I believe is incredibly helpful for every Christian and every non-Christian. It's what the Bible says about suicide and depression. Uh, Usually every year to 18 months, we like to, to revisit this thought and talk through what does the Bible say about Christians depression, suicide, things along those lines. Let's have a biblical view of that and how we can help. Because here's, here's a fact. We have people in our church that are struggling with depression that are embarrassed to talk about it, and we want to we fix that. We have people in our church that are struggling with depression that don't want to reach out for help. We want to fix that and kind of destigmatize the idea that we shouldn't talk about this. And we're going to have some really good discussion about it two weeks from today. So it's January 30th. Put it on your calendar. Invite a friend that you think would be helpful uh, and be here for that because you will not want to miss that. As we look through the book of Lamentations, we'll be talking about that uh, together. But t- today we find ourselves, Jeremiah is telling the children of Israel, 
on God's behalf. Guys, get your act together. You have to stop this because if you don't, this is your final warning. God's telling you he's going to take you into captivity, into slavery. You will not be free any longer if you continue to rebel against God. This is your last ditch effort to fix it. And God tells Jeremiah in the beginning, Jeremiah, I need you to go and say this, but nobody's going to listen to you. And they don't. And then we find ourselves in the book of Lamentations after they've been taken into captivity, after they've seen God do all these terrible things because they did not obey. But here in Jeremiah 17 this morning, he's still giving them an opportunity to do the right thing. And so we find ourselves there in Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to start in verse number 1 and read through verse number 10 here this morning. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It's graven upon the table of their hearts and upon the horns of your altars. Now, the first three verses when he talks about your altars and your high places, this is where they have uh, sacrificed and worshipped false gods. Whilst their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills, O my mountain in the field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to spoil in the high places for sin throughout all thy borders. And thou, even thyself, shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee. God says, if you continue to do this, I'm taking my hand of blessing off of you. The heritage that you had, I'm going to remove from you. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in a land which thou knowest not. You have kindled a fire in mine anger, which shall burn forever. God says, hey, look, you want to continue to rebel against me. You want to continue to go your own way. You're free to do that. But please know, I'm not going to bless you. He goes on even in verse number five to say this. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and the land a salt land and not inhabited. But verse seven, you should circle this, star this, underline this. This is a good verse for you th- this week. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaves shall be green, shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 9 is another verse to commit to memory as well. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You know, oftentimes we uh, think that we're pretty smart. I don't know if anybody in this room that would raise their hand this morning and say, I am a dumb individual. I don't know anything about anything. I think all of us would consider ourselves to be pretty smart. Some of us who lived a while are like, I'm totally dumb and I need as much help as I can get, right? But most of us would say, I consider myself to be maybe not the most intelligent person in the world, but I'm pretty high up there. I'm a pretty, uh, pretty good judge of character, pretty smart when it comes to the things of the world. And so I would consider myself in that, that category as well. I'm not the, the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not the dumbest either. And so I, I can handle myself for the most part. And so uh, I needed some uh, front-end suspension work done on my car, and I thought to myself, I can totally do this. Like, watch a couple of YouTube videos. How hard can it be? You know, I'm a problem solver. I can figure stuff out. And so uh, my dad uh, can fix anything in the world. And so I think to myself, if I get in a pinch, I can just call my dad. He can walk me through it over the phone. And so order a bunch of parts off the Internet, and I proceed to begin to dismantle the front-end suspension on my car. 
And I'm pulling parts out, and I was like, I'm not sure what this is, but I think I'll probably need it later. I think this is, a, I'm looking at this. This kind of looks like this piece in the box over here, but I'm not sure. And I began to basically stack up parts over on the side. Then I get to the part where I'm supposed to take the, li- the, the springs off from around the, uh, the shock tower. And I look at that, and I go, ooh, how do those things come out? And so pull up a YouTube video, how to remove the springs. And co- so I begin to look, uh, and they say, you first of all need a spring spreader. Okay, well, I don't have a spring spreader. Uh, and so I look, and I, okay, they got one at O'Reilly's, we'll get a spring spreader. And so then I finish watching the video after I go buy the part that I need to, to work on this. And it says, be very careful because you can amputate your fingers in this step. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, very good. Or if you spread them too much and don't have enough pressure in the right places, they can pop out and hit you in the face. Oh, okay. And so I realize I'm in way deep at this point. And so I began to, to disassemble it further, and so I, I left the springs because I was a little bit nervous on that. I thought I'll do that later. And so I didn't find that I have a box full of old parts and a box full of new parts. And uh, I, think, I think these are the new parts over here because they're getting kind of mixed up with the old parts. And I was like scratching my head going, this is not good at all. And so finally I, I get to a point where it's just like, I'm going to have to call for help. And like, I, I don't want to call for help, but I'm going to. So I call my mechanic and say, hey, Vic, I really messed this thing up. And could you give me a hand? He was like, I can. He said, just bring it in. I said, well, that's the thing. It's in like 100 different pieces at this point. He was like, bring me a box full of all the pieces you got, and we'll figure it out. Man, I love this guy. So sure enough. And so uh, I said, okay, great. So I have roadside assistance. So I call roadside assistance and says, hey, my car won't start, and I think I need it towed to the, the mechanic. <laughs> Right, because you never want to say, hey, I'm an idiot, and I disassembled the whole front end of my car, and I need a tow. You say, hey, my car is undrivable, right, which was a true statement. I didn't lie. Uh, my car would not start. It was undrivable, and so I called, and so the first guy comes out from roadside assistance. He was like, I can't tow it without a front end on it. And I was just like, well, can you, like, put dolly underneath it? Yeah, but I got to hook the dollies to something. There's nothing to hook it to. He was like, I can't do this, and so he, like, left. And so then I call back the roadside. I said, hey, the first guy left. I said, oh, we'll send another guy. I said, I think I might need a flatbed. And they said, okay, we'll send a flatbed. So guy, sure enough, comes out with a flatbed truck. And he looks, he's like, I, I don't have anything to hook on the front end to pull it up onto the flatbed. Like, I, I can't do this. It doesn't work that way. And I was just like, well, I got to get it to the mechanic. He's like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay, thanks. And he gets in the truck and leaves. And so call back again. Hey, I've had two guys come by. Could you send me somebody who really knows what they're doing? It's okay, we'll send a guy by. So this guy comes out and he was like, oh, yeah, man, we can totally do this. He's like, oh, okay. And so he's got, like, straps, and he's, like, put a wheel in place and, like, strapped it to the frame. And I was just like, I don't know how this is going to work, but this guy seems pretty confident in what he's doing. And so he's like, yeah, get this one over here. And so we did that. We kind of Frankenstein something together. And he's like, I think I can tow it like this. And so he lifts it up, and he pulls out, and he slams on the brakes, and it didn't go flying anywhere. And he's like, I, I, think, I think it's pretty tight. And he goes back there and, like, jerks on it. And he's like, and I said, Hey, man, how long have you been driving tow trucks? She said, this is my third day. (laughs) So you're not smart enough to figure out you shouldn't be doing this yet. I love it. And so he said, I'm just going to drive super slow and hope it doesn't fall apart. Yeah, that's a great idea. And he did. And I made it to my mechanic, and my mechanic says, he called me, and he's like, there's a good reason why you're a pastor and not a mechanic. I go, yes, you got it. And so, and he told me in very nice terms, stay in your lane. And so I said, okay, got it. And so, but here's the thing. I was, I thought I was smarter than I was. I thought I was more mechanically inclined than I was. And most of us overestimate our own ability to handle life. We think to ourselves, I got this. I'm smart enough. I got this thing figured out. I've been through stuff like this before. 
and I don't think that I need any help. And the Bible says when you do that, you're setting yourself up for a whole lot of trouble. When it comes to self-confidence, self-confidence just sets us up for failure. If you take a look at verse number five, it says, cursed is the man that trusts in man. You think you got this? That's your first mistake. When you think that you can handle everything apart from God, that's where you run afoul from the very beginning. Everything that happens from that point forward just happened because you set a terrible trajectory from the very beginning. And no place in the world is your need for help outside of yourself evident in the fact, first of all, of our sinful condition of mankind. All of us have sinned against God. All of us have broken God's law. Every single one of us, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. We didn't break God's law once or twice. We break God's law every opportunity that we get to go our own way and do our own thing. And that's problematic because the Bible says there's always consequences for sin. And the consequences of our sin, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die after this, the judgment. The consequences of sin is death and hell. That's what we deserve because we've broken God's law. Here's what you've done. Here's the consequences. The consequences are we get to endure God's punishment for eternity. That's what settles things up with God and makes things right. That's problematic because nobody wants to go to hell. And, and anybody who says, oh, I want to go to hell because my friends are there, you just don't understand what hell's like because it's terrible. And so here's what the Bible says, that you can go to hell and pay for your sin or someone can pay for you. Now, I can't pay for your sin because I have a debt that I owe God myself. There's not a church in the world that could pay for your sins because churches can't do that. The Bible says there's only one person that can forgive sin, and that's God himself. And so Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came and died in our place. Jesus came and endured God's punishment so that we wouldn't have to. And anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved from their sin. All you have to do is truly believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. I believe that I cannot make it to heaven on my own. And I am asking God to forgive me from my, of my sins. If you have done that or you're willing to do that today, the Bible says you can be saved in a split second from your sin. But the moment that you confess your sin and repent before God, you're forgiven, you're adopted in the family of God, and you're called saved. The Bible says that you're saved. Sometimes in talk when people say, has there ever been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? Those words mean the same thing. They're synonymous. And if the answer to that is no, there's no way that you can make it to heaven because Jesus is the only way. But you know what, when I talk with people most of the times that, that aren't Christians, that don't know for sure that they're saved, and I'll ask them this question, hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? The majority of people I talk to would say, no, I'm pretty sure. I think I'm going to heaven. And I say, why do you think you're going to heaven? What do you think the number one response to that is? Anybody want to guess? I think I'm a good person. Of course you do. You know why? Because you have greatly overestimated your own righteousness. And where is your confidence? Your confidence is in yourself. Your confidence is in man, what man has done or can do. 
What does verse 5 say about the man who puts his confidence in self? He's cursed. You're not blessed, you're cursed. And if your confidence of going to heaven or anything else is yourself, friend, you're in a heap of trouble, that's for sure. Because our confidence, here's the thing, if I die, guaranteed, 100% certain, I am going to be in heaven. You say, well, that's a pretty confident statement to make. My confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in Jesus Christ, who said, if we believe in him, that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's where my confidence lies, not in me, but in Jesus So self-confidence sets us up for failure, whether it's for eternal life or anything else. You see, faith in ourselves takes our heart away from God. You can either trust yourself or you can trust God, but you can't do both at the same time. You might be scratching your head going, wait a minute. Well, if I thought the Bible says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Absolutely. But first of all, that verse probably doesn't mean what you think it means in context. (laughs) Second of all, I can do nothing apart from Christ. Nothing. Like, I couldn't tie my shoes this morning without Jesus. And that's not figurative speech. The only reason I have the capacity to tie a pair of shoes, the only reason I own a pair of shoes, put it that way, is because of Jesus Christ. My confidence isn't in myself because without Jesus, I'm toast. So faith in self takes my heart away from God. Again, take a look at verse number uh, five. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh his flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. You see, to trust in yourself, you have to take the trust away from God. I don't know if you've ever been here before. I have, and so I'm gonna confess my sin before you because I've already confessed it to God. Where you say, ah, I think I got this situation handled. I don't even need to pray about it. I think I'm good. You ever been there before? Nah, I'm not going to worry about what God thinks about that. I'm not going to pray about that. I'm not going to ask other people what they think. I'm not going to study the Bible. I mean, I know what to do. I got this. I don't even need to pray about it. You have just put your faith, your trust, your hope in yourself. And the Bible says when you do that, it takes your heart away from the things of God. Hey, look, I recognize that I can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. And every step that I take, every decision that I make is based wholly, completely and totally upon the grace of God in my life. But you see, so often we think, oh, I got this. I can totally handle this. The Bible says in verse, uh, Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Here's what it says. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Hmm. You know what that verse says? Psalm 118, verse number 9. You can look it up for yourself. Better to put your confidence in the Lord than in princes. You know who princes are? Rulers, politicians, people looking out for you. And it shocks me. It disheartens me. And let me just say this. It grieves the heart of God when Christians put so much faith and hope and who's in office, and who our politicians are, and what plans and programs they're putting together for us, as if the government is our savior. Now, what should our response as Christians be for our government? We should pray for those who have rule over us. The Bible commands that. We should pray that they would make godly decisions, they would be influenced for the glory of God, and that God would, the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, that God would guide them to make wise decisions, for sure. But please understand, I have zero confidence and hope in the government, 
None. And again, I'm not saying we should all buy a piece of land out in Idaho and, and shoot AR-15s and, and get five-gallon drums of uh, food. I'm not talking about that. We're not, not talking about communal living. Please understand. But my hope, my confidence is not whoever's in office. Oh, if we had a more conservative president, we could do that. Conservative president wouldn't do nothing for the cause of Christ. Please understand that. Because it's not his job. And you need to just do a little bit of research in church history and find out that generally when the church flourished and the cause of Christ went forward, it wasn't during favorable circumstances. It was under great difficulty, great persecution, great hatred towards the church, not reverence for the church. Hey, look, we've had, politi- we've had con- politically conservative presidents who claim to be Christians in the past. You know what they did for the cause of Christ? Little to nothing. You know why? Because revival in America doesn't take place in the White House. It happens in the church house and in Christians' houses first. That's why you say, well, this is getting awfully political. I'm just telling you what Psalm 118 verse 9 says, that our confidence is in the Lord, not in princes or politicians or rulers. And if you think some government program is going to bring about change in America, you have misunderstood what the Bible says. Change in any nation takes place as we turn our hearts towards God, first and foremost. And if you have your confidence in a man or a woman, the Bible says you're cursed from the beginning. I'm going to go one step further. This might shock some of you. It might even seem blasphemous on the surface, but I'm just going to tell you this. If your hope or your confidence is in a church or a pastor, you're cursed. You're toast. Look, stick around hooey call long enough. I'm going to say something to make you mad, to hurt your feelings, or to disappoint you. I'm going to miss your kid's birthday party. I'm going to forget to tell you happy birthday. I'm going to forget to send you a birthday card. You're going to find out that I said something nice to somebody and didn't say something nice to you. You're going to find out that your kid didn't get enough veggie straws in the nursery or whatever, and you're going to get mad. Okay, look. When that happens, I'm not saying if that ever happened, when it happens, stick around long enough, you're going to get disappointed, Okay. When it happens, I want to let you know from the get-go, I'm sorry, I'm a human just like you, and I fail every single day. And I'm sorry. And if I've ever wronged anybody, would you do me the favor of just coming to me and saying, hey, what you said was hurtful. I want to make it right. I want to apologize. I'm not perfect. And if your confidence is in me, it's misplaced. If your confidence is in one group of people, one church, it's misplaced. Because your confidence is in man, it has to be in the Lord. And putting your faith in the things of this world actually dishonors God. If you're trusting your 401k, you're trusting your IRA, you're trusting your savings account, you're trusting how smart you are or how good you are or how you're able to get yourself in through any situation, just know you're removing God from the equation and that dishonors him. Hey, look, Hui Kala is what it is today, and I believe it's one of the best churches that I've ever been a part of in my entire life. And I sometimes say jokingly that Hui Kala is the best church since the book of Acts. I believe that to be so. If you disagree, that's fine. We can agree to disagree. But here's the thing. It's not great because I'm a great guy or I'm super smart or we got this awesome pastor. It's great because God's spirit is in this place because people are being saved and baptized and, and discipled and growing in their faith and people are living out real authentic Christian lives sometimes for the first time ever in their entire life. That's special. That's unique. I don't ever want to get over that. But please don't think that I take any credit for that and you shouldn't either. God's spirit is at work here. If, it was, if God's spirit was removed from here, we'd just be another nonprofit 501c3 that got together for some 
general purpose. So again, we need to understand that when we put our faith in things of this world other than the things of God, it dishonors God. Isaiah chapter 31, verse number one says it this way. Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and horsemen because they're strong, but they look not to the Holy One of Israel neither seek the Lord. Isaiah 31, one. Here's the idea. When you read the Old Testament, Egypt is always a picture of the world and sin, okay? Whenever you read through the Bible, just read it with the, the idea that anytime Egypt is referenced, it's referenced as a picture of the world or it's a picture of sin. That's why God's people, the children of Israel, were in slavery to Egypt. God sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt into a land that flowed with milk and honey and was promised to them. Okay? Do you see any symbolism there with you and I? We're in slavery to sin. God sent his son Jesus to deliver us out from that into a land that he has promised for us. It's a picture of salvation of God. And so we could go so far as to say that Egypt is a symbol of the world. Moses was a symbol or a type if you want to use that word, a type of Jesus Christ. You and I were Israelites enslaved to our sin. Jesus Christ led us out into a place of promised fruitfulness. So when this says here, woe unto them that go into Egypt in time of trouble. Shame on those that go back to the world of sin when they get in a pinch. And they trust in what? They trust in chariots, and horsemen, and men, and they forgot all about who? The Holy One of Israel. They never even bothered to pray. They go wondering what they can do with the things of this world. Woe unto them. Shame on those people who go back to the world to try to find a solution to a problem when they don't even bother to ask God. And so God was dishonored in this case because his children, that he had led them out, had promised to care for them and meet every single need that they ever possibly had, went back to Egypt trying to find help and didn't even bother to ask God. And God was dishonored by that. And you go, hmm, those crazy Israelites, huh? So hard-headed. Come on, let's just be honest. You cannot honestly objectively read the Old Testament and not see yourself as one of the children of Israel that griped, that complained, that didn't get their own way, that was frustrated with God, that was mad because God didn't come through in the timetable that you thought that he should. You say, well, I would never go out and worship Baal. No, but you go out and worship, you know, luxury goods and designer brands and new cars and you go out and and worship the almighty dollar. You might not bow down at an altar, but you're doing whatever you can to get a little bit more green, get a little bit more status. Woe unto them. And you say, ah, woe unto me when I go looking for a solution that's apart from God. And here's the thing. Self-confidence is a lonely place of a wasteful life. If you go through this passage here in Jeremiah 17, we get to verse number six. The man who trusteth in man... You know what he's like, verse 6 says? He's like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land not inhabited. 
he'll find that when he goes out into the desert that there's nothing there. And let me just tell you this, when your trust is yourself, and you got everything riding on you, you got all your eggs in one basket, it's the basket of self, and when the bottom drops out, and it will, you'll realize that you have no one to lean on, no one to turn to, because you've done it all yourself. And it's going to be a really, really lonely place to be. I don't know if you, how many people have ever spent time in the desert before, but not a pleasant place to be. We lived for 10 years in Lancaster, California, which is in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And apart from um, Joshua Trees, if you've ever been to, seen Joshua Trees before, they're beautiful at sunset, you know, they're these prickly little trees that are kind of neat as you watch the sun go down over the desert. You can see the outline of a Joshua Tree. It's beautiful. Nobody's ever dug up Joshua trees and put them in their front yard, though, right? Because it's not that kind of beautiful, right? It's just, like, kind of cute. But aside from that, it's brown, it's dirt, it's hot, it's dry. In the summertime, the, uh, the temperature where we were at would get up to, like, 115 degrees. And I say, oh, but it's a dry heat. Heat is heat, yo. <laughs> like... When, and when a breeze, here's, you might not know this, when a breeze comes and it's 115 degrees, it's not like, ooh, a nice breeze. It feels like somebody's holding a hair dryer on you. It's just like, oh my goodness, I'm like baking here. <laughs> we had, our, our very first summer in Southern California, we were, uh, Angela and I were young and broke and we had little kids and we thought, we should just get out and go somewhere, but we were broke and we couldn't afford to go anywhere. And so she said, I found a resort online. She's like, it's a five-star resort. I saw pictures of it. It's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. She said, it's like $75 a night. And I was like, no way. And so we looked, sure enough, 75 a night. That's crazy. Where's it at? And she was like, Palm Desert? Like, I don't even know where that's at. I was like, I'm looking at the, that's next to Palm Springs. Like, movie stars go to Palm Springs. Not in the middle of July, they don't. And so we book a hotel in Palm Springs in the middle of July. If you've ever been to Palm Springs or Palm Desert in the middle of July, we got there, it was 122 degrees. I've never been in heat like that in my entire life, and I never want to be again either. And we realize, we check in, and like, I'm, like, my shoes are melting on the way to the check-in desk. And it's just like, I get to the check-in desk, and I say, hey, what do people do around here during the daytime? He goes, uh, stay in their rooms? <laughs> Great. And so we think, well, we'll at least take the kids out to the pool, right? You go to the pool, and the pool's not like a hot tub. It's like a hot bath. And you think to yourself, well, that would be nice. Not when it's 122 to outside. It was awful. And we sat inside and camped inside and basically cranked the AC up and laid in front of the AC because when it's 122 outside, your AC doesn't work the way you think it should. And it was just miserable. You know why? Because it was a desert. <laughs> you booked your vacation in the middle of July in a place called Palm Desert? What were you thinking? Wait, God tells you if you decide to trust yourself and how smart you are and how good you are and you put all your eggs in the basket of self that you'll find yourself in a desert. And then people get there and they're like, wow, I don't know why things are so hard because you didn't do it God's way. That's why. So the Bible says you want to continue to go your own way and do your own thing. You're free to do that. But know this, it will not work out well for you. Job says in Job 15, verse number 30, he shall not depart out of darkness. The flame shall dry up his branches, and the breath of his mouth shall go away. 
Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. It shall be accomplished before his time, and the branch shall not be green. He shall shake off his unripe grape as a vine, shall cast off his flowers, the olive, for the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. You try really hard to bring some fruit, but the fruit comes and it's no good. You try to get some branches to grow, and they just burn up. You try to breathe, and your breath is gone. That's the guy that trusts in himself. And know this, any victories that you win in the flesh will ring hollow because you did it all by yourself. I've had the privilege as a pastor to go to several different types of military ceremonies and uh, whether advancement ceremonies or retirement ceremonies or uh, change of command ceremonies and things like that. And there's always two types of folks that make speeches and stuff like that. There's the kind that are like super humble, that are like, hey, I work with some of the finest people in all the world, and, and Joe, I remember that time you stayed late, that one time to make sure we hit that deadline, and, and Sally, I remember right after your daughter's birthday party, you came in and worked on that project so we could stay on a mission, and, and I'm only stand head and shoulders above everybody else because I stand on the shoulders of giants, and I wouldn't be able to do this without you people. And then there's the other people. My mom's got pictures of me when I was seven years old playing army out in the backyard. I was wearing my flak jacket and my, my Kevlar helmet. I remember those days. And ever since then, I wanted to be a soldier. And this is just a natural progression of the warrior spirit that's been in me since I was a kid. Just like, wow. And you listen to 10 minutes of bragging about, yeah, when we were in Afghanistan, we were pinned down behind. I, I just said, boys, we're just going forward. And that's me. Just go forward and steamroll them all. It's just like, my goodness. You listen to like 10 minutes of that. And I think to myself, as this guy drives home after he's extolled how awesome he is for the last 30 minutes, does he think to himself, that was totally awesome. <laughs> that was great. I really let him have it, right? Because I'm driving home and I'm thinking like, how insecure is this guy, right? That he took that opportunity not to thank anybody else, but to brag about how totally awesome he is. And I think to myself, this that's the type of guy who finds himself in a desert by himself. You know why he has to praise himself? Because he stepped on everybody else's head to get to where he was at. Because he's burned every person who's ever done anything good for him and can't give him credit for it because he's so insecure. You know why? Because his confidence is in self. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's a lonely place to be, the Bible says. Psalm 106, verse number 13 says this, they soon forgot his works, God they waited not for his counsel, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. This is a scary verse right here. He gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. Psalm 106, 15. Here's what happened. Children of Israel were out in the desert, and they were mad at God. God, we should have just died in Egypt. At least if we died in Egypt, they would have just died he brought us out to the wilderness to starve us. And what's this manna we got to eat every day? This is junk. Can we at least have a little bit of meat? Like you couldn't even like hook us up with like meat. We got to eat manna that falls from heaven every day. And the Bible says they complained. And God says, fine, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll send quail to fall from heaven. And you're going to eat so much meat that it's going to come out. Do you remember? Come out your nostrils. You're going to choke on the meat that I give you. And you go, well, that's pretty harsh of God. Look, don't mess with God, period. God says you want meat, I'll give it to you. And Psalm 106 says that God heard their request because they griped, they complained, they moaned, and God says, fine, you can have it. 
He gave them their request, and he sent leanness to their souls. That they got what they wanted, and they're like, well, this isn't any good. This isn't what I wanted. Yeah, you wanted it so bad, though, didn't you? And God's that type of God that if you belabor him, he's going to at some point say, fine, you want what you want. You can have it, but you're not going to be satisfied with it. You know why? Because you'll only find your satisfaction in him, not in stuff. And so God gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their souls. They weren't satisfied with what they had, but they got it. You see, the Bible says that the opposite happens when we delight ourselves in the Lord, that we'll be delighted with him as with the marrow and fatness. I definitely prefer fatness over leanness, that's for sure. And God promises that if we'll find our delight in him. And so... Hope in the Lord brings God's blessings. Verse number seven, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. When we talk about hope, we're not talking about a wish. We're talking about a confident expectation in God based on his character and the promises of his word. When we talk about biblical hope, it's an eager expectation. Like, ooh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. That kind of hope. Like, oh, this is going to be good. I can't wait to see how, what happens next. This is going to be good. That's the type of hope. It's an eagerness. It's an excitement. It's an expectation in God of what's coming next because you know he's going to be good because that's who he is and that's what he's promised. So when the Bible says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, you can be blessed if you trust God and just wait for him to do what only God can do. That's the good stuff. And the Bible says that's how you get God's blessings. Psalm 9, 10. And they shall know thy name and will put their trust in thee, for thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. You know, that's a great promise from God's word, Psalm 9, 10. Psalm 9, verse number 10. Those who put their trust in the Lord, the Lord will not forsake or forget them. Hey, look, if you trust in the Lord, he's not going to forget you. That's a promise. If you put your trust in God, he will come through. That's a promise. You trust in the Lord, you will be blessed. That is a promise. Because hope in the Lord gives us a settled heart. Hope in the Lord allows us to have a semblance of peace amidst all the craziness that's going on. Hope in the Lord allows us to not be worried at every little thing that comes by. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 25, 1, Thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wondrous things, wonderful things. The counsels of old are of faithfulness and truth. Hey God, I know what you've done in the past, and this is nothing for you. I know whatever I'm facing this week is nothing that you haven't faced before. I know the heartache that I have is nothing that you haven't seen before, that you haven't cared for. I know that I can trust you, I know that if I put my faith in you, I know that if I wait on your deliverance, I know that I'll be blessed. That's a promise. That's a fact. And so God, I trust you this week. God, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'm thankful that you know, and I'm just going to trust you through that. But anytime we use the word blessed, I feel like I have to put a disclaimer on the word blessed because God's blessings are not always material or characterized by a life of ease. 
You see, we have a, a fake version of Christianity that's being peddled that says God's blessings are always material. God's blessings are always financial. God's blessings are always giving you what you want. That's why God exists. That's a lie. God exists for his glory. Now, does God bless people financially? Sure. God also sends other people through poverty. Same God. Does God heal people sometimes at the 11th hour? Absolutely. Does God allow some people to die? Every single day. So again, when we say that the person who trusts in the Lord will be blessed, don't think that this means that you get everything that you want out of life. Don't think that this means that everything works out in your favor. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. I took my daughter and dropped her off at school the other day. Oh, my soul. It was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced in my life. She goes to school over by the, the airport. And I, I'm leaving her school. I pull out underneath Nimitz Highway, like the far end uh, under the overpass. If you've ever driven that, it's like stoplight after stoplight after stoplight after stoplight. And you can never catch two in succession ever. It just never happens. I pull out green light. I get to the next light, green light. I get to the next light, green light. I'd make it all the way underneath Nimitz Highway from one end to the other, all green lights. And I'm thinking to myself, this is incredible. And so Nimitz Highway's backed up. They said there had been an accident on H1, so H1's backed up. And so I get off on Dillingham. I get off on Dillingham. I'm going green lights on Dillingham the entire way on Dillingham. Unbelievable. You turn right on King Street. You know, there's two, two lanes where you turn right on King Street. Green arrows turning right. I turn right on King Street, and then I get to Chinatown. You know, you're going to be stuck in Chinatown. Green lights through Chinatown. I made it back here from my daughter's school in like 18 minutes. It only takes me like 45 minutes. No lie, I did not stop one time ever. I mean, I should go back and count how many green lights it is, but it's easily two dozen green lights. Every single one of them was green. Do you know how many times that's happening in my life? Once. Do you know how many times that will ever happen to me again? Zero, right? But here's the thing. Of course, that has to do with anything. People think that the word blessed means green lights every single time. Smooth sailing. Everything's fine. That's not what it means. The majority of God's blessings cannot be purchased. I'll say that again. The majority of God's blessings cannot be purchased. And so, you, oh, I got a, a new car. Hashtag blessed. Eh, eh. You're paying $700 a month for it. I wouldn't call that blessed. Right? What, what is God's blessings? God's blessings are his love, his joy, his peace, his long-suffering, his gentleness, his goodness, his faith, faithfulness, his meekness, his temperance inside you. Like, ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, it is. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what you want. You don't, like, seriously, at the end of the day, you don't want a new car. You want God's peace in your life. You don't want more followers on social media. You want real love. The things that your heart craves are the blessings that only God can provide. How do I get those? Make God your source of trust. Make him your hope in all things. Oh, taste and see, Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Jesus says in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And you see, a strong faith sustains us in times of less than favorable circumstances. You're going through a difficult spot? <laughs> Join the club. But the good news is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have everything you need to make it through this. Everything, 100%. Take a look at verse number eight, if you would, in this passage. The man whose hope the Lord is, he's like a tree that's planted by the waters, that spreads out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. That word careful means anxious or worryful. In the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. You see, in difficult times, it's where your roots are at that makes a difference. You know what grows in the desert? <laughs> Joshua trees and tumbleweeds. If you ever seen tumbleweeds, you're missing out on life. Like, it's just exciting. Sometimes they're the size of like a Volkswagen bug. Like, like block the road, have to get out and drag a tumbleweed out of the road to continue driving. It's crazy. And they're full of thorns. They're terrible. That's what grows in the desert. God says those that trust in the Lord, they're like a tree planted by the water that when the, the sun beats down, it's no sweat for them because they're plugged into a power source that never fails. When drought comes, no problem. They're connected to the river. They're going to keep bearing fruit in difficult times. You know, the problem with the majority of Christians these days is we flip on the news or we look at our social media feed to decide if today's going to be a good day or not. That's not your hope in the Lord. Well, let me see what the case count is for today so that we can determine if we're all going to die. No, you're all going to die. That's a fact. The question is, are you going to live your life with joy or fear today? Well, we got to figure out what's going on in the world so we can figure out whether or not today's a good day or not. Today's a good day because Jesus is still on the throne, folks. I don't give a rip what the news has to say about what's taking place. You know why? Because my confidence is not in man. My confidence is in the Lord. Well, I don't know how much longer we can live this way. We can live this way as long as God determines that we'll live this way. Well, I just don't know how much longer we can hang in there. We'll hang in there as long as our source is the Lord. And if your source is the Lord, you're a tree planted by the river who spreads her roots out that when the sun comes, you don't care that the sun comes because you have a constant source of refreshment because you're plugged in to a power source. And when the drought comes, you don't care because you're plugged into an unending stream of water that this doesn't affect you. Hey, look, Christian, it should take a lot to rattle your cage. It should take a lot to get you worried and anxious. Because like, hey, my Lord is in charge of all this. And I only have breath in my lungs because he said that I get to today. Like, worried about something else? Please, he's in charge of that too. But you see, we have many Christians whose confidence is in man. Confidence in what we can do. No, again, I'm not making light of any, any type of sickness or anything like that. I think everybody should be wise and do what you think is wise to, to, to do whatever. But hey, look, I'm not going to cower in fear for the rest of my life. 
I'm just going to say, hey, Jesus is in charge, and I'm just going to live my life. Simple as that. Whatever happens, happens, because Jesus is on the throne. And, and please understand this. This is not a political statement, so you can twist this ever how you want to, but know this. You cannot add one day to your lifespan by worrying. That comes from Jesus himself. He says, you can't add an inch to your stature by worrying. And every head that, hair that you got on your head is numbered. So just know that he's in control, he's in charge, and know this, when your number comes up, just be ready. That's it. But we have to say, my hope is in the Lord. Next, it's important to understand this. You, you can't get around this. I do want to say this before I move on. Isaiah 26, verse number three is a good verse. I don't want to miss it. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You're going to trust in something, trust in the Lord because he is the source of everlasting strength. But Jeremiah goes on this, and probably one of the most famous verses in all the book of Jeremiah. Most people don't know anything about Jeremiah, but they know this verse. Jeremiah 17, 9, that your heart cannot be trusted. Verse number 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 53, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and they've done an abominable iniquity. There's none that doeth good. God looketh down from heaven on the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They're all together become filthy, and there's none that doeth good. No, not one. That's what's in our heart. And so when you come to a crossroads in life and you say, well, I'm not really sure where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do, you can take the counsel of self or man or you can take the counsel of God. And so many times people say, I know in my heart that this is the right decision to make. And as a pastor, anytime somebody comes to me and say, I know in the depths of my heart that what I'm doing is the right thing, I think to myself every single time, you are a fool. And you say, well, that's an awful thing to say, Pastor. I didn't say it. Solomon said it. Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 28, verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Because only a fool trusts his own heart. Hey, look, I realize I'm not smart enough. I don't know everything. I see life colored through my own experiences and my own emotions. And I know that my heart will lead me astray. And so, so many times people are like, oh, I just... I feel really strongly about this, and I feel like I should do it. Feelings don't factor into the counsel of God. And I know that's hard for some people to process, like, well, well, I just don't feel like this is right. Feelings don't factor into the counsel of God. Feelings factor into your trusting of self or your trusting of man. And just look at verse number five on how that works out. You'll be cursed if you follow your emotions. And you need to remember your heart is a liar. And here's the fact. Emotions cause us to abandon rational and critical thinking in favor of feelings and imaginations. 
Emotion causes to abandon rational and critical thinking because of emotions and imaginations. For every girl who's ever sat me down and said, well, I know this guy's not a Christian, but I think I could win him to Christ and he'd be a great Jesus follower. <sighs> Girlfriend, let me tell you something. You don't know the Bible and your heart has lied to you. What happened? The Bible's clear. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's a commandment. That's not a suggestion. Christians don't date non-Christians. Christians don't marry non-Christians. That's just in the Bible. Oh, but I know, but maybe if we dated, I could win into Christ. That's an imagination. That's a fantasy. That's not rooted in reality. Well, I know, but I have a friend from high school who dated this unsaved guy. You're getting your counsel from the counsel of men. Verse 5, look and see how that works out. You're cursed. And you say, yeah, I don't see how anybody could do that. You and I do it all the time. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you and confess my, my sin before you because I've already confessed it before the Lord. He's forgiven me and I've confessed to my wife and she's forgiven me. There was a time in my life where I bought a car that I knew I could not afford. I took out a loan on a car knowing good and well I did not have the money to make the payment. And my wife says, how are we going to pay for this? And I said, we'll figure it out. I'm a king. I always figure things out, right? It's just like, what we do? I'm a problem solver. I know for a fact I cannot afford this car. And so then they come back and they say, hey, you can't afford this car. And I said, oh, did I put my income as that? It's actually higher than that. And the salesman, happy to make a quick sale, goes, oh, okay, well, let me change your... Uh, income level and guess what you're approved now hey, hey how about that because this was a beautiful car it was a convertible and i pictured myself with the top down tunes cranked driving it down h3 kind of cold with the, the top down you go through the tunnel and you come out on the other side it's just like <gasps> green mountains on one side ocean on the other and i'm cruising with my ray-ban wayfarers on with my music cranked sun on my skin, armor around my wife, driving a car that I can't afford. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's fine. We'll work it out. And guess what? Big shocker. We get ourselves into a financial pinch because now we got a stupid car payment. Why? Because I trusted my heart. My heart concocted this story that I was so eager to listen to. That's why, again, I believe every Christian should go through some form of financial counseling of some sort. We use the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University here that's really important on how to handle your finances in a way that pleases and honors the Lord because I got my heart mixed up with my money and I made a mess of my life. Now, you say, well, that would never happen to me. It happens all the time. Know this. It's important to understand that in verse number nine it says your heart is a deceiver. It's deceitfully wicked deceitfulness is different than lying and you need to understand the difference if i tell you i made a million dollars this week you would say you're a liar and you would be true if i told you that i have an uncle in kentucky who was a farmer had a ton of farmland and he didn't have any kids but he mentored me when I was a kid. We used to play basketball. And he had a hoop, and he used to come to all my basketball games and, and stuff like that. And he really invested in me. And when I went to the Navy, he came to my boot camp graduation. And he was there for our wedding. And I didn't know this, but he actually 
was actually quite wealthy and he didn't have any kids. And when he passed, he wrote in his will that he wanted to give the money to, to me. And, uh, you know, he, he'd seen pictures on the internet of what our church was doing and really invested in that. And he said, I feel like Anthony would steward this well. And so, no lie, like, I got a phone call this week and it's just like, wow, like, a million dollars? Like, I don't, I never even dreamt of that kind of money. All of that was a lie. Everything. I don't have an uncle. He's not rich. I didn't get a million dollars. I didn't get a phone call. Nobody died this week. Nothing. But you were, you were listening for a minute, weren't you? And probably some of you are saying, like, is he yanking our chain or is this, did like, this really happen? Why? Because I went from lying to you to getting your emotions hooked in and talking about family. Maybe you had an uncle who had an impact in your life, too. And, oh, poor uncle. He didn't have any kids. All he had was a, a nephew that he went to his basketball games. And your emotions got hooked up into a story. And before you know it, you were deceived. You might be sitting here going, uh-uh, I didn't get sucked into that. I'm stronger than that. Good. You'll get deceived some other way. <laughs> because your heart's a liar. It's a deceiver. And deceit is different than lying. Lying is just telling untruths. Deceit is hooking you in with your emotions so that you shut off critical thinking and do stupid things. I can't tell you how many guys have sat across the table from us. She's like, I think I really found true love in the girl at work, and I just don't love my wife anymore. You have been deceived. You have been lied to, and you bought an imagination. You're not thinking clearly. Well, I think my kids would be better off without me because I'm such a terrible influence on them. You bought a lie. No kid is better off without a father or a mother. Get your act together and be who God's called you to be. But no, we, we buy into lies all the time because they, they're convenient to us. That's why the Bible says, never trust your heart. You can't do it. So I have to trust something bigger than that. So... Verse 10 tells us we need to submit our heart to inspection by God's wisdom. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So I got to say, hey, God, here's what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? Hey, God, here's what I want to do. Tell me where I'm wrong. God, I want your wisdom more than I want to be right. God, I want your wisdom more than I want what I want. God, would you look at my heart, search it, see if there's something that's not right. Point out to me the error of my ways because I don't want to do anything if it's not right with you. But you see, you can't be led by emotion. You have to be led by God's wisdom. And look, James 1.5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. God, I don't want what I want. I want to be wise. God, I don't want the things that I want. I want the things that you want. God, I know your plans are greater than my plans. Would you reveal that to me? Would you show me wisdom? I really want to know that. Because nobody knows your heart the way that God knows your heart. Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Here's the thing. I can lie to you, I can lie to my wife, I can lie to my kids, but I can't lie to God. God knows. And so at the end of the day, I really just want God to inspect my life. And I hope that you can get to the place, some of you are not there yet, but I hope you can get there, where you're really not concerned about the approval of the world. You just want God's approval. 
I just want to know that God's pleased and honored by my life. I don't really care too much about what anybody else thinks. Because I want God to look at my heart and go, yeah, that's my heart. I want to be like David who is called a man after God's own heart. You think about David, a guy who is chasing after the heart of God. That's the type of guy I want to be who's formed in the image of Jesus. That's what I want to be. But that requires that I set my emotions to the side. And verse number 10 is really clear. If the Lord, I, the Lord searched the heart, I tried the reins to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You will reap what you sow. Fact. You cannot get around the law of the harvest. I'm going to ask you some questions. These are not trick questions, okay? If I plant corn, what will I harvest? Corn. If I plant watermelon, what will I harvest? Easy, right? That's not even farming 101. That's like introduction to farming principles, right? If I plant corn, I can't be frustrated that I didn't get watermelon, right? You say, well, if you wanted watermelon, you should have planted watermelon, right? Right. It's funny people trust in themselves. They trust in their own power. They trust in their own strength. And then when they get what's coming to them, they go, oh, why is God not blessing my life? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> you didn't do it God's way. You can't plant your own seeds and then ask for God's blessings. You got to plant God's seeds to get God's blessings. Does that make sense? Because the Bible, verse 10, clear. God gives every man according to his ways. You want to do things your way, you'll get exactly how much of it you put into it. You want to do things God's way, you'll get exactly what God can put into it. Galatians 6, verse number 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For so man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he soweth the soweth of his flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth the spirit, of the spirit shall reap life everlasting. So, hey, look, I want to be a guy that trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord, because that's where the blessings come from. I don't want my own way. I want God's way. And if God had given me everything I asked for, every single time I asked for it, my life would be an absolute train wreck disaster. I'm so thankful of the times that God did not answer my prayers but gave me something greater. I'm so glad every time God canceled my plans and gave me greater plans. That's who God is. But that requires that we trust in the Lord and make him our source of hope. Two final thoughts and we're done. First of all, we trust our hearts when we follow our emotions, our circumstances, and the expectations of others. That's confidence in self. I'm going to follow my emotions. I'm going to go with what feels right. You can have confidence in self, but you'll be confidently incorrect. Confidently wrong. You can trust in your circumstances. I have, uh, in my entire time of, of pastoring and trying to help people with their life problems from the Bible, I'm getting close to two decades of ministry at this point. One time... And one time only has someone followed God's plan that they felt like God was leading towards that, re that required a massive reduction in pay. One time and one time only. You know why? Because people just see dollar signs. Oh, this is the will of God because it's a better circumstance for me. Oh, there's more money over here. I definitely have to go there. Oh, I can buy, you know, six acres of land in Texas for what I can buy, a, you know, one-bedroom studio in Waikiki for. God must be leading to Texas because everything's cheap there. 
okay. Well, I've got to move over there. I mean, the cost of living is half of what it is here. That's just a no-brainer. Okay. You're making decisions based on circumstances. I want to say something, and you need to think on this. You need to be well aware of the fact that the devil who is your enemy has the capability to change your circumstances. Have you ever thought that the devil could dangle a carrot out there in front of you, that sweet six-figure job with a company car? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, no, of course, that has to be hashtag blessed, right? Has to be. Have you ever thought that that, you know, seven-bedroom, six-bath house that's waiting for you on a hill in Connecticut could just be a carrot being dangled by the devil? Oh, no, the devil would never do that. Really? Hmm. Because it seems to me like the devil is in the business of over-promising and under-delivering. seems to me like the devil thinks that people can be easily swayed by offering them things like status and wealth. When the devil came to, to Jesus in the wilderness, he tempted him. What did he tempt him with? You see all that stuff out there? You can have it if you'll bow down and worship me. Status, wealth. Look, the devil can manipulate your circumstances. Be aware of that. And again, people say, well, well, this is just an open door. I'm just going to keep walking through this door until the Lord shuts it. Hey, look, it's not God's job to shut the door on your foolishness. Just know that. And so pet peeve as a pastor, like, I'm just going to keep walking until God opens, shuts the door. Hey, look, imagine David had that same thought. Well, I see a naked woman out here taking a bath. I'm just going to keep walking until God shuts the door. No, you should have shut the window when you saw a naked woman. But he just kept on walking. And guess what? The doors just kept opening. She just happened to come over and she just happened to get pregnant. Her husband happens to be at the front of the line in the battle and he just happens to die. And David just kept walking that path until the Lord shut it. God's just like, I'm not my job to shut the door on things I've commanded you against. And so don't be led by your circumstances. Don't be led by the expectations of others. Well, my mom's always wanted me to be a doctor. How about you be what God wants you to be? Or people at my work would be really disappointed if they found out that I was a Christian. Well, who do you want to please, the people at work or God? Well, I can't act that way because, you know, other people have got expectations of this, that. Hey, look, we don't live for the expectations of others. I live for the glory of God my Father. That's how I live. And so all these things, your emotions, your circumstances, what other people think of you, allows you to be led by your confidence to be in man. Verse 5, that's a cursed way to live. But God wants you to be led by his word. God leads by his word. You want to hear God speak? Read his word. You want to hear God speak audibly? Read it aloud. God speaks through his word. That's it. Well, I'm looking for the verse that says, thou shalt move to Texas. It's not there. But let me just tell you, the principles of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live your life are written all over scripture. You want to move somewhere because you feel like you can get rich there? The Bible speaks a lot about people who desire to be rich. A lot. And it's not favorable. So read the word. Spend time in prayer. God speaks through prayer. And prayer is less bending God's arm and making him do what I want him to do. And it's more allowing my heart to be shaped and molded to the heart of God. Hey, God, here's what I want, but if it's not what you want, I don't want it either. 
hey, God, would you give me wisdom, direction? Would you place people in my life that would, would guide me and direct me in the direction I'm supposed to go? God, I don't want to make this mistake if this is not what you want. I remember standing on the, the front uh, door of this building here back in 2000, early 2013. It was a fantastic Sam's at the time. They had, uh, at the time, they had paper up, brown paper covering the windows. I remember standing there, and I had my hand on the handle of the front door. And I prayed, and I said, God, if you give us this building, we will use it to the glory of God. It will be a lighthouse of the gospel here in this city of Honolulu, and we will use it every single day to make your name known until you move us on. But if you don't want us here, leave me the right place. We don't want it. And let me just tell you, man, if God didn't give it to us, and here we are, lighthouse of the gospel here in this city. But I don't, I don't, I wouldn't touch this place with a 10-foot pole if it wasn't where God wanted us to be. But God, through prayer, through his word, began to confirm. God also through godly counselors, which is another way that God makes his counsel known. Men that love Jesus, that in my life, that have been walking with Jesus for not a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but decades, that I trust their influence in my life. Hey, what are your thoughts on this? Hey, I'm going to lay out this scenario. What are your thoughts on it? Could you give me some guidance? And again, I'm thankful for people's opinions and stuff like that, but the, the men that I've surrounded myself are guys like, well, you know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, X. You know, this reminds me of the verse in Psalms where X. Hey, I think when Paul wrote to the church at Galatians, here's kind of what he had in mind with your situation, X. And man, that's so helpful for me. Because you know why? Because I've got an idea in my mind of how this is going to work. My emotions are attached to something. I need to disconnect from that. Allow God to speak through his word. Allow God to speak through prayer. Allow God to speak through godly counselors. And allow God to speak through his Holy Spirit. And you're like, ooh, yeah. I love it when I feel the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. It's a person. And how does the Holy Spirit guide you? It doesn't guide you by feelings. The Holy Spirit guides you by truth. Read John chapter 16. Jesus says, The Spirit, the Comforter, which I send you, will guide you into all truth. He will remind you of all the things that I've already told you. The Holy Spirit is just going to point you back to the Scripture and point you back to Jesus every time. He's not going to make you feel something ooey-gooey or give you goosebumps. That's not what He does. He guides you into truth. Pet peeve of mine, people always say, well, this is a decision we made, and we just, we just got peace about it. <laughs> a feeling of peace means zip. You say, well, that's not very nice. Show me a verse in the Bible where it talks about a personal feeling of peace. So many times people are, well, pastor, I'd like to get your advice on something. Sure, what's up? Well, I got a job opportunity in Idaho, and we're thinking about moving out there, and the pay is better, and we might be able to find a church. I'm not sure. Well, I don't know if I was you. I'd put a lot of thought and prayer into it. Well, we leave tomorrow morning. <laughs> oh, well, then my advice to you is just get, get home and pack because you need to, to leave. Let's pray before you go. You don't want advice. You don't want counsel. You already made up your mind. Well, we just have a lot of peace about it. Peace based on what? Based on the word, based on prayer, based on godly counsel, based on the spirit. Or just some feeling that you have of calm. Hey, look, when Jonah decided to run from Nineveh to Tarshish, you know where they found him in the midst of a life-threatening storm? You may remember where Jonah was? Asleep in the bottom of the boat. 
Man, Jonah had peace like a river, yo. He wasn't bothered by any of that. Jonah could say, I know I've decided to disobey God, but I just have peace and I'm going to go take a nap right now. That peace means nothing whatsoever because you've disobeyed the Lord. And so the peace that you get is not a feeling. And peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a stillness that God gives you because you're walking in the Spirit, holiness, righteousness, obedience, and you've already followed His plan. That's where peace comes from. Not from some feeling that I, well, I just feel like I'm making the right decision, so I've got peace. Not that kind of peace. But none of this matters until you first come to the first place of recognizing, I need to be saved. And so maybe you're here today and you don't have the confidence that when you die, you're going to heaven. You need to be saved. You need to be born again because your trust in yourself to get yourself to heaven, you're never going to make it. But for those of us that are Christians, there's two voices that are crying out for you to follow their counsel, follow their advice, follow their wisdom. There's the world who has a very loud bullhorn. And then there's just the word of God which the Spirit has spoken before in Scripture in a still, small voice. God's Word isn't going to scream and shout and grab you by the throat. Most of you, when you pick up your phone and you begin to scroll, you're generally not scrolling through Scripture. I'm just telling you, if you want God's wisdom, you got to go find it. you got to look for it. you got to desire it. Before I ever make any life-changing decision, I spend 90 days in prayer and fasting before God. I, I megadose on the Bible, everything I can think of to read about a given situation or scenario or just wisdom. I always talk to at least five guys that I know that have been walking with Jesus for decades. And then I just pray and ask for God for wisdom. I'm thankful for the man that I told you that who took a massive pay cut in following the Lord. You know what he did? He put five guys in our church in a group chat saying, hey guys, here's my thoughts. I feel like God's leading us this way. If you see some red flags along the way, would you let me know? And would you pray with me on this? Hey guys, I got a, got a job offer. Here's what I got. Would you guys continue to pray with me on this? I really want God's mind in this. I really want God's heart. I really want God's wisdom. Hey, I know this doesn't make sense on paper, but I really feel like God leading in this direction. Could you guys pray with me? I was so thankful for that. I said, man, here's a guy who gets it. Here's a guy who really wants wisdom. Not somebody who wants to do their own thing or go their own way or wants to be successful in the world's eyes, but really wants to be God's man. And I'm appreciative of that. I want to be that. I want you to be that. And let me tell you this in closing. If you want spiritual fruitfulness this year, it's found in one place, the presence of Jesus Christ. And you can't walk with Jesus while you're doing your own thing at the same time. So some of us are going to have to let go of our hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations, emotions, desires, other people's expectations and let all that go just to be who God has created us to be and that's okay because we really want his approval in the end. Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.